0: Good morning, Maple Crest. Good morning. And today we are talking about sexuality. And uh, we are doing a, a series on intimacy. We're talking about sexuality in various forms. And one of my teasers for this series was to eventually actually talk about how to have, uh, how to have good sex. And uh, we're not going to talk about that today, but that's, I'm still teasing. And we will talk about that eventually. <laughs> and uh, we will get there. But today... We are not going to be talking about that. Instead, we're going to be talking about the various sexualities uh, that people experience and how that fits into the kingdom of God. And I want to start by talking about my internship. When I was Internship's are kind of a big deal. I don't know what it's like for medical doctors, but for psychologists it's a big deal. And it's hard to get in and you have to do all this work and sometimes people take years to get matched. And I was fortunate I got matched the first year, so I was going to Saskatoon. And we went to Saskatoon. We have to be there for a year and I do various rotations. And... Uh, First day we went to a restaurant with our internship coordinator and the other interns to meet everybody and get oriented a little bit And they started off with this meal and I sat down and the director coordinator asked me, so you know uh, You're married and I said yes, I'm married to Natasha and then she said "Uh, What's what's Natasha like and I I said this Uh, I said that she was portable and I said that she was distracting I don't think it was a very good first impression. <laughs> I'm sure many of you know that I'm extremely skilled in uh, small talk and, and things like that. And uh, I was really showing that at that point. Uh, anyway, she, she's true. I don't think it's the way I would normally describe her. But she is distracting uh, in all the ways that might go along with that. And um, also just because you're married. And uh, when, you, when you get married, um, you get distracted and i I realize this more, and, and then there's another level when you kind of have kids, you get distracted, and you're distracted with them you're distracted with what god 's call on your life to please them and to raise them and to disciple them and to love them and care for them and all of these different things and so i was we were just talking the other day, me and Natasha were talking and about kind of what lifestyle we want to we have we, sometimes we get these deep conversations about where we 're going in life and what we want to do and um, and you know, the new stages of life that come And our kids are getting a little bit older So we're like, what do we want to do with our free time? And what do we want to do now that we have this house? And what's our next step? And it was amazing to me, just thinking I won't get to the details of the conversation But it was amazing to me to think about What I would be doing with my life right now if I was single Compared to what I'm doing with my life now that I'm married and have children And it's very, very different Radically different And um, and I love being married and I love having kids, I love my kids. Uh, but it's radically different what I would be doing with my time and money if I was single compared to what I would be doing now. And, it's am- and in that conversation, it was amazing to me how much money and time we are willing to put in in order to give our children the slightest bit of extra love, the slightest bit of extra feeling of like being socialized well... And accept kind of and move into the values that we have for them. It was amazing how much we were thinking about doing. I remember seeing this before we had kids. We were support raising in Ontario. We ran into this family and they were supporting us and actually letting us stay with them while we did a bit of support raising in Ontario. And um, I remember them telling us about their daughter. And they they were grown now. But we asked them uh, about them and and they told us the story about how their daughter one year, I don't know how old she was, I was thinking maybe like 9 or maybe 10 or 11, somewhere in that age, and their daughter all of a sudden said that she was interested in swimming and kind of took a little bit of extra time swimming and maybe talked a little bit about dreaming about being a swimmer. It's like, okay. And then the next summer they put in an in-ground pool in their backyard in order to support their daughter to be a swimmer. She was not an Olympian, she was, she had, I don't think she had meddled, I don't think she was, you know, it wasn't that level, it was just a small child saying that they were interested in swimming and in comes, I don't know, a $60,000, $70,000 pool built the next year into their backyard. And I was flabbergasted. I remember I, I tried to hide it because they were our supporters, but I was like, oh my goodness. This is a small child and you're putting in this huge pool for them and they might not like swimming the next year, you know, like they might be like, now I want to, I don't know, be a disco star. I don't know, like, but this is their, it was like one summer of interest would produce this huge purchase and I wasn't a parent yet, but now I'm amazed at how much we would be willing to do for our children. To have that slightest bit of extra feeling of love and care and advantage in all of these wonderful ways in life. And I wrestle with the idea of the way Jesus lived his life and the way that he served the kingdom and the way that I'm serving the kingdom and how, in some ways, how different they are as we spend all this money on our family and on our children. And then I think about how it would be different, and we think about this too, if we both weren't Christian or if we both weren't as devoted as we are and how challenging that would be, how distracting that would be. We're distracted even though we both love the Lord and are going really hard as we feel after him. How much more challenging would it be if that wasn't the case? And the Bible actually talks about these distractions too. Now, I know, and there's lots of sermons about, well, there's not lots actually, there should be more, but there are sermons on and talks about How, you know, if you're in the kind of what they would maybe call the mundane everyday of life, how you can connect with the Lord. And I'm a huge believer in that. I believe that, you know, uh, the single mother at home spending all of her time taking care of her family can still connect with the Lord for sure and can have a huge calling in the kingdom. But it's also true that that reality also does pull us from the kingdom. And the Bible talks about that. We're gonna talk about that today. It makes us more distracted, not in a sinful way, not in a way that we need to repent of, but in a way that we're not completely focused on his kingdom being spread in the world. We're focused on our family and our spouse. To start this message, I wanna make two points. I don't wanna spend a lot of time on them, but I wanna kinda lay them out there just to make sure that we're all clear on, on them first is that we're all sinful and we're all loved and that we're living in bodies that aren't perfect we're called to bring heaven down to earth but this is a process that hasn't completed itself yet so we have sickness in our bodies we have sin in the world and we're living in that second point i want to make just quickly is that a temptation to sin is not sin Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted, as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus was tempted. We don't know what his temptations were exactly, but he was tempted. With the worst kinds of sins, I'm sure. Well, I'm not sure. But with many sins, in every way, it says. And yet was without sin. So the temptation to sin is not sin itself. I think that's really important just to say off the top. I have counseled people with various sexual preferences. Some of these individuals want to continue in their sexual preferences. Some people want to change their sexual preferences. Um, I've talked with people who have sex addictions, or people who would consider themselves to have sex addictions, people who have impulsive kind of one-time or what they hope are one-time affairs. In relationships, I've talked to people who are part of swinging communities, uh, people who are a part of sadomasochistic groups. Um, I work with a lot of couples who are trying to balance their sex drives with each other. That's one of the more common things. I work with couples who are trying to become sexually interested in each other again. I've become aware of how painful and how varied human sexuality is. And more and more of these varying sexualities are being embraced in our culture. Lesbian, gay, bisexual is just the beginning. Um, there's serial monogamy, probably one of the most common sexual patterns in our culture. One partner after another, having multiple partners at the same time seems to be more common uh, from what I see in my practice. People wanting to have multiple partners sexually at the same time. Um, There's, now I'm going to coin a word, I like coining words, cybersexuality, which would be like a pornographic addiction or kind of being addicted to even non-human cyber-type characters, anime, things like that. Uh, Fetishism, so being sexually aroused by objects (coughs) that are kind of commonly found in... um, sexual experiences. I already mentioned sadomasochism. Attraction towards prepubescent children. Tempted in every way. Being tempted by these things isn't necessarily sin. But there are people who are tempted just naturally in their bodies. I remember I worked in the Stony Mountain, and one of the psychologists there actually worked to measure people's sexual responsiveness to prepubescent material. He was doing research, and he would show these various images and measure um, physical arousal In that case, because he was working with men, he was using a cuff on on their penis to measure their arousal to these different stimulations or stimuli. Attraction towards animals. I remember doing a radio show, partly, part of it, on people's attraction to inanimate objects. And one of the examples on the internet, i had never worked with somebody who had this, Preference, but they were attracted to the Golden Gate Bridge. They were very excited about having a piece of the Golden Gate Bridge, and would visit it regularly. I don't know, bring flowers. I don't know. Like they would, they would be attracted to this. You know. There were various inanimate objects that people were attracted to. There's the LGBTQ. Let's put up the slide. Now, I looked it up on the internet. This is apparently how long it is. L-G-B-T-T-Q-Q-I-A-A-P. And then I came here and I was told that there should be a 2S for two-spirited on there as well. I'm not putting this up here oh, just to know what it stands for. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, transsexual, queer, questioning, intersex, asexual, ally, pansexual. And then I was mentioning two-spirit. It becomes quite the mouthful and in that way it's kind of funny like how are you going to say this but I'm not putting it up there to make fun I'm putting up there just to point out how varied this becomes and how if they, I think they actually need to come up with another way of saying this because if they were actually to put up, this doesn't even cover all the sexualities out there and if they continue to do this it's going to become very unwieldy to be able to do this and I'm just pointing out how varied and how Um, more and more varied this is likely to become in the ways that people will express their sexual preferences and how it seems that the acceptance of these um, uh, varied sexual preferences is growing gay is only the beginning I I remember thinking about how God, I mean at the time I was saying why didn't God put homosexuality in the Bible like why didn't he list it in the bible like and I, and he he did just so you know but at the time i was thinking about this cuz i hadn't really researched it and i remember thinking why didn't he put it specifically in the bible and i was thinking because like it's such a big deal in our culture why wouldn't he mention it specifically well now when i see this when i see this long lgbtqqiaap and i think now in my practice about all the varied sexualities out there i'm glad he didn't list it cuz if he had listed it that would have been kind of may be helpful for a certain time in different cultures, but the list is huge on the different ways and varieties of sexual preferences people can have. And so it's probably more astute to leave it more general and just refer to it as sexual immorality. In the end, God always knows better. Go figure. Now in this series, I've been talking about God's design. And... Um, how he glorifies himself and us and has designed us to be in this uh, relationship, with, uh, in a marriage relationship, and how that is connected to his character and connected to his relationship with us, and how we can learn about him through that, through our sexuality in marriage. But I wanna, today I want to make it clear that we're not all called to be married. We're not all called to be married. Even though marriage is a beautiful picture of how God operates, how two become one, how the Trinity operates, and how much he loves us because we're the bride in this picture metaphorically, and he's the bridegroom, and we can understand our relationship with him by understanding our um, experiences in marriage, particularly the good experiences. Even though that's all true, it's not necessary. It's not necessary to be married. We're not all called to be married. And that brings us to the main text for today, which is Matthew 19, verse 10 to 12. I'll read that for you. I think I've got it on the screens. The disciples said to him, Jesus, if such is the case of a man with a wife, it is better not to marry. Now, Jesus had just given them the teaching on divorce, kind of saying, basically, don't get divorced. There's more to say about that, and so, you know, please don't take that as a definitive statement. But, you know, it was kind of a more stark reality than they had experienced before. And they were saying in response to this teaching on divorce, if that's the case, Jesus, then it's better not to marry. And Jesus said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. So he's basically saying, you're right, not everybody should get married. For there are eunuchs it's an important word and we're going to define it in a minute there are eunuchs who have been so from birth and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven let the one who is able to receive this receive it okay so then he he's talking people are saying maybe you shouldn't get married Not Marriage isn't for everyone. He says, no, marriage isn't for for everyone. There is an alternative. You can become a eunuch. So to understand this, it's important to understand the word eunuch. So let's let's do that next. An emasculated man is one definition of a eunuch. Now in that time, when you got higher in government, sometimes people were uh, castrated. Men were castrated in order to serve in government, to... Potentially limit their motivation, you know, don't get involved in the harem, you know, like you're safe now So they would just emasculate them They would castrate them too in order for them to be good servants and for them to gain trust So that's maybe what he's referring to some of these people have been made this way by men So naturally um, Or like made that way men so they're emasculated they're castrated But it can also happen that people are born this way people can be born with um Kind of vague or ambiguous genitalia where they don 't have a, a natural ability in order to um, in order to be married for marriage or for getting having children and, and that 's normally what people think of when they think of a eunuch. they think of somebody who has either um, you know on purpose by men or naturally through some uh, birth issue. Uh, kind of become uh, an emasculated man, somebody who uh, doesn't have uh, natural genitalia. But you can also voluntarily, it also includes one who is voluntarily abstaining from marriage. That's the definition. So what does Jesus mean by have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven? Well, when I think of this phrase, when I read it, having made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, that sounds like he's esteeming it. It sounds honorable. It sounds favorable to actually become a eunuch. That's actually like a worthy sacrifice to give for the kingdom of heaven. Made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He's not deriding this. He's not saying, oh, those people who like foolishly gave up marriage for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He's not calling it foolish. It sounds instead like it's being esteemed. Like it's honorable. There are two men who have clearly done this in the Bible. And they're fairly prominent. Who have emasculated themselves. Who gave up marriage. Who became his definition of a eunuch for the kingdom of heaven. Jesus and Paul. They gave up marriage, voluntarily gave up marriage for the sake of the kingdom. Paul, the other person who has done this, who gave up marriage for the sake of the kingdom, writes about it, and writes about it quite favorably. In 1 Corinthians 7, seven, it says, I wish that all were as I am, and he's meaning being single. I wish that all were single as I am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another in a little later in that um, same space it says in verse 28 yet those who marry will have worldly troubles and i would spare you that so he's basically saying if you're going to get married you're going to have trouble verse 32 it goes on i think i have this i'm not sure if i put this on there um, but i'll read it for you in verse 32 this is chapter 7 verse 32 of uh, first corinthians I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the, is, uh, is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, about how to please her husband. So the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, and the married woman is anxious about the things, about worldly things, about how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So it's not a sin to get married. And we've been talking, and I believe, how glorious it is to get married. But... There is this verse, there's a series of verse, verses, and there's the example of Paul. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And that was the example I was giving in the beginning of the message. I believe that there's an opportunity in this world. Singleness is seen as something that is honorable, favorable, and helpful for the kingdom of God. And that kind of goes against our culture. Countercultural to think about singleness in a positive sense. Singleness is seen as something in the Bible that's easier. It actually makes life easier. He wants to take away our anxieties by encouraging us to be single. It may be hard to understand how being single is easier than being married. There are obvious challenges in being single. I counsel people who are single and are struggling with being single. And the big one is loneliness. Loneliness is a huge challenge for single people. Our world, our culture, is made and designed for people who are married. If you have a family of four, you don't fit on the sidewalk. If you're single, you're kind of lonely. But if you have a partner with you, well, it fits you just perfectly. If you want to have a family with many, many kids... It was a lot easier when you just put them back in the wagon than it is now when you've got to get car seats for everybody. Our, our world is actually designed for a specific type of person, a specific size, a specific type of person. Our socializing is designed around couples. Married people, they go into their houses with their garages, never to be seen, they are encapsulated within their coupledom. People who are single uh, have difficulty knowing how to socialize because it's difficult for a single person to socialize with a married couple. And yet once you're past youth group, once you're past the bar scene or whatever is in your culture for that age, it gets more and more challenging. And I talk to people who are in their 40s, who are in their 50s, who are single and they are wondering what they are to do with their life. They are wondering... What's my purpose? This seems like the whole world is encouraging me and only finding meaning in getting married and having children. So what in the world is my purpose? And many of those people who are coming to me have alternative sexual preferences. They have these sexual preferences and they're alone and they're feeling isolated. They're feeling like there's nothing for them. So there's a huge challenge in being single. But this the biblical record is actually telling us that it's even more challenging to be married. It's even more challenging to be married. It's more esteemed in our culture. It's where all of these, which where everything is kind of guiding somebody in our culture, but it's actually more challenging. And if I was to compare the number of single people coming in because of difficulty with being single and the amount of married people coming in because of difficulties in their marriage, by far and away, it would be difficulty in marriage that is putting people through extreme personal, emotional, spiritual stress. By far and away. The challenges of people who are married and don't want to be anymore. If I was to weigh them, in my experiences, would be much greater than the challenges of being lonely and being single. And I don't want to take anything away from the challenges of being lonely and being single, it's huge. Both are extremely challenging. One of the things that um, happens to people who are having these sexual preferences, don't feel like they can express their sexuality in a marriage, is prejudice. We have to be careful about prejudice against, against this group, against people who are um, not fitting into the mold that we have in our culture. They often receive contempt, and that was true in the Old Testament. It was true in biblical times, and it's true now. And in that, I can be in agreement with the sexual revolution. I think that the prejudice that has come against the groups of people who have sexual preferences, who are being tempted potentially in different ways than we are being tempted. Now, everybody's being tempted in sexuality. Let's just make that clear. We are all, I mean, maybe I'm being a little, we're all tempted for sure. And I think that there are, it's it's true that most, by far and away the majority of us are being tempted and are struggling in some level with our sexuality. So the idea that God's burden is um, different for people who are, uh, you know, have a different sexual preference and that God is requiring more of them, there are many, many married people who are coming in who are trying to, trying to control, trying to manage their sexualities, who are upset with their sexual preferences and are trying to manage them, maybe in more traditional ways that they are trying to manage their sexualities. But the idea that there's only one group that's kind of being picked on by God in terms of sexuality, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure about the degrees, but there's lots of categories of people who are struggling with being tempted in their sexualities. And Jesus was tempted in every way. So, as I was saying, there's this marginalized group who are um, potentially not called to being in a marriage relationship and receive contempt from various groups, including Christians. And I think that it's interesting that Jesus actually identifies himself with the same word he uses for this group. He used the same word eunuch to identify the group of people who have had some either by man or by natural means are not able to go into a marriage and himself somebody who gave up marriage for the kingdom of heaven. I mean, who, who is Jesus if he's not somebody who gave up marriage? Do you think he wasn't able to get married? I think he could have gotten married if he wanted to. I think he probably had an opportunity. He could have made an opportunity. I think it was voluntary. And he uses the word eunuch for somebody who has given up marriage for the kingdom of heaven. And then he uses the word eunuch for people who have either been made naturally or unnaturally unable to go into a marriage relationship. Now, was Jesus struggling with uh, like a homosexual sexual preference or an alternative sexual preference? I am not saying that. I don't know that. He didn't talk about it, but what I do want to say is if that he if he was being tempted by any of those sexual preferences, biblically, he would be no less qualified to be a sinless man, no less qualified to be the savior of the world if he was being tempted by any of those things. Being tempted by a particular sin that potentially has more prejudice around it in our society does not make you any more or less qualified to be in the kingdom of heaven or to or whatever category to be righteous that doesn't matter so to talk about or to imply or to act like people who are tempted by alternative sexual preferences being somehow second class in terms of their ability to be close to God, or walk in righteousness, or be gifted, or work in ministry is inappropriate. Absolutely inappropriate, in my opinion. There are scandalous sins for heterosexual people in leadership, and there are scandalous sins for people who have other sexual preferences in leadership. We are all being tempted sexually. Most, yeah. I believe the vast majority. Vast majority. Yeah. That word all always gets me. It's like, uh, I don't know that. But vast majority are being tempted sexually. Heterosexual or otherwise. And I think that when Jesus says, And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And when he falls into that category... Has given up marriage for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. I think he is saying, partly, that we need to be careful about our prejudice. And I want to also make the point. That Jesus isn't asking anything of anybody that he's not willing to do himself. So when he asks somebody, you know what, maybe you weren't made for, for marriage. Maybe there's another path. It's not something that he wasn't willing to do himself. He walked that path before us. And he's not saying, oh, well, now you're going to have a second-class relationship with me. Now you can only have a piece of my heart less than everybody because you have this temptation versus this temptation. No. Not in the least. We are not measured based on our temptations. We are not measured based on the state of sickness in our body. That is not the measurement of somebody's faithfulness. Now, I also want to make the point that I'm not trying to encourage or dissuade anybody from living single or living married. If I was actually going to talk about that, like, should you be single should you be married, I would be referencing other other scriptures, and that's not the main thrust of today. So if you're making that decision, listen to some other messages, read more. This is only a piece of the puzzle. My message today is a call to understand that we're all broken in our sexuality. My message is to understand that we are all tempted or mostly tempted in our sexuality. This is a message is a call to understand that there is grace for all of us, and that none of us are second-class because of our temptations. But it's also a message to say that the path that's laid out in the Bible for people in their sexuality is the path that it has been laid out in the Bible for their sexuality. That is the path. It's marriage. And it's not for everybody. But it, that is the way that God has given us to express our sexuality. And I also want to say that in Maple Crust, I am well aware of the struggle in singleness. And that for some it's a choice, and for some... It's a call. And I want to say that it's something that I want to understand, I want to esteem, and I want us to support. As we are small, as we are big, I want, to know, I want you to know that I am pro-single. And I want to find ways to create a community that meets the needs of intimacy for the single person. Because when you're single, meeting that need is extremely challenging to actually have enough intimacy in your life, in relationships. And we focus so much on the struggles in marriage, and maybe that's because they're greater, That and we usually don't focus on the struggles of being single and that may continue to be the case because we're not perfect but I want you to know that I'm aware and that I don't have all the answers but I want it to be something that we're striving for. I want it to be something that we are working out as a community in supporting people in that place and that we're not perfect in it but we want to be better. We pray a lot for boldness We want to be a community that stands on the word. But we want to stand on it in truth, not in bias. We want to stand on it in in the center of his truth and not in reaction. We want to love people. We want to love them where they are. Because there's only so much control that somebody has. And I don't care. I mean, if somebody was born some way or if somebody was behaviorally or if that sexuality was behaviorally contributed to, that might be an important question, but it's not an important question when you're talking about loving that person. Because however that was created, however that came to be, that's the way it is, at least right now. And they deserve our love, they deserve our respect, and they deserve our prayer. And they need to know that they are loved by God, and that they have every opportunity every opportunity that anybody has to be close to him and to be powerful for his kingdom and they have an opportunity to be even more powerful to to be more aligned with the way jesus lived his life because they have a singleness to their devotion that many of us can't have let's pray lord you've created this community be a beacon to be a beacon of truth and power in this world and I just pray that this word of our love for everyone would go out and be a healing and um, and a measuring of the of the teaching and of the relationships that are out there I pray that there would be safe havens for people who are facing all kinds of temptations. That there would be ways for people to get intimacy in their lives that are biblical. And that there would be support and honor of people who have completely devoted themselves to your kingdom in a singleness, in a single lifestyle, and in a singleness of devotion. Lord, we want to be a people who raise up people who are on mission with their entire being, We want to change the city, and we want to do it your way, and we want to do it with your love for every person. For every person. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's respond to.